0: country And my shadow Welcome back to the Camino podcast episode 77. I'm Dave Whitson. Nobody asked me my name Well, if you ever wanted a sign of my self-restraint and professionalism it's this. It took me until episode 77 to make this an episode devoted to the noblest of creatures, the humble donkey. Often scorned for its supposed stupidity, often beaten and cursed at for its so-called stubbornness, often dismissed as a sullen and depressed creature, the donkey is an animal that deserves the spotlight and maybe some better PR. If you've walked the Camino, you've encountered donkeys. Sometimes they're looming on a field's far end, watching the world go by, a presence immediately recognizable even from a hundred meters. Sometimes they're pressed against the barbed wire fence, curious and eager for engagement, and maybe hoping for an apple slice. I've talked about my favorite loquacious donk, Arthur, on the Via Podiensis heading into Conk. There's a donkey who is so eager to connect with Pilgrims that he merited his own nameplate. If you're a Camino book reader, then you've likely met Shinto, the donkey who walked with Tim Moore in the journey detailed in his book Travels With My Donkey, One Man and His Ass on a Pilgrimage to Santiago. There's no question who the main character in that book is, and who the supporting actor is. Shinto steals the show from beginning to end. Sadly, these days, we don't see too many pilgrims walking with donkeys on the trail. It's a challenging process, navigating cities, finding accommodation, and handling the crowds. Still, I was able to find one brave pilgrim, Barbara from near Poitiers, France, who made the journey with her donkey Dali on multiple occasions. In this episode, Barbara describes their pilgrimage on the Camino del Norte, and their triumphant, if illicit, arrival in the prosodoro at the end. In addition to being entertained by her stories, this episode is also a chance to learn about the plight of the donkey worldwide, one that is cause for legitimate concern. In service to that, I'm joined by Mark Myers, the Executive Director of Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue, an organization that does remarkable work in the U.S. and around the globe. We talk about the donkey's many virtues the valuable roles donkeys can still play in 2024, and the reasons donks are in need of rescue now. At long last, it's the donkey episode. I hope you enjoy. Who Would Walk the Camino with a Donkey? Meet Barbara, who lives near Poitiers, France. To kick us off, I asked her to share the story of what first brought a donkey into her life.
1: Oh, well, that's, that's a long story. I cycled my very first Camino because there were quite a lot of very good reasons. I'd been very ill, and at some foolish point, I'd said... When I'm over this, I'm going to have to walk a Caminos. So then I thought about it and I thought about the time it was going to take. And I thought, well, you know, maybe cycling is going to be acceptable because from my home I could cycle down to Santiago in about a month. Whereas walking was going to take so long, I was going to be away from home for so long. And the year before, I'd been away from home for a long time because I'd been boating. My poor husband, I mean, I was completely out of contact with him for 35 days while we were at sea. So I thought, well, it would be unfair to go away again for two months and I cycled and I thought, yeah, this is this is great. But I would actually like to do it a little bit slower next time. I'm already thinking about next time I hadn't even got to Santiago at that point.
0: It's funny how that happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I chatted to a few people about it and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to walk, but I'm not sure about carrying a bag. And this was before all the bag transport and things. This was in about 2000, 2001. It was the year after the Holy Year. And Marian Marples, I don't know if you ever met Marian. She was with the confraternity in the UK and a big mover and shaker in the Camino. She said, well, you ought to take a donkey. Ah, OK. But I haven't got a donkey. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure you could find a donkey if you wanted one. Right. So I thought about this and I thought, well, You find donkeys at the same sort of place you find horses, you know, riding stables. So I got a friend who runs riding. At the time she had a riding school just close to me. And I said, where would I find a donkey that would do a long walk? And she asked the obvious question, what are you going to do with the donkey after the walk? I said, well, I was sort of thinking of hiring the donkey, not actually owning the donkey. She said, you'll find that very difficult. Why? Well, you won't want to lose the donkey after the walk.
0: Mm.
1: Ah, okay. Would you uh, know anybody who would possibly rent me a donkey with an option to purchase? And there was something about not a used car, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, but, you know, if I found we don't get on, it would be a shame to have a donkey for the rest of the donkey's life and not get on with the donkey. Yeah, that's fair enough. She said, well, it just so happens... (laughs) Yeah You can see where this is going, can't you? (laughs) Yeah, so I went round and I had a look at Dally, that was the donkey's name. And Dally and I seemed to get on okay and she was a good big donkey. And I looked at her and said, You know, this donkey is big enough for me to ride. Oh yes, she says, but not with all your bags and stuff, you know, it's you or your bags. Okay, fair enough. So it'll be the bags then and I'll walk. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. So I thought going to get some bags now and I found out with a lot of fairly intensive research that the way to do it was to get a pack saddle and hang the bags off the pack saddle so I did all that and then I was kind of left with no excuse but to start walking we did need to find a way of getting the donkey back but I found a a horse box I could hire so that would sort that out and I set off walking and I didn't start from home I started from Le Puy en velay and I walked from Le puy en Valais across to the French coast and I walked the Norte and the reason I walked the Norte was because the Francaise didn't strike me as the best deal for a donkey It wasn't mega busy then, it was a lot less busy than it is now but even so there were a lot of people a lot of towns to go through and the Norte was much more rural that turned out to be quite interesting because the Norte at that time was very little walked there was hardly anything in the way of infrastructure, but they weren't overwhelmed with pilgrims, you know, because the Francais even then it was getting quite busy and it was all oh, blah, more pilgrims. It was very much, we have a pilgrim and the pilgrims brought her human. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the most marvelous welcome everywhere. People were really good. I spent a lot of time standing waiting while Dali was fed stuff. Every now and then they gave me a cup of coffee.
0: But you knew who the priority was.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I got Dali down to Santiago and we didn't know about all this stuff you have to arrange to take the donkey into the town and up to the cathedral. We just walked into the town and went to the (laughs) the cathedral.
0: I'm assuming you didn't take the donkey in the cathedral.
1: No, no, just outside. Just outside the gate, as it were, you know, outside the big doors. Yeah. And somebody came up in a uniform and got a bit cross with me in Spanish. And I didn't speak all that much Spanish, but I I spoke enough Spanish to know he was telling me I was a very bad girl and I should have a permit stamped in triplicate. And I said, but, you know, I only want to get my compostela. And then when I've got my compostela, maybe if I could have a cup of coffee before I take the donkey away. Oh, right then. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's how it happened. Somebody held Dali while I went in and got my paperwork done, and they pushed me to the front of the queue for some reason. I can't think why. It wasn't a very long queue, though. I'd arranged for my my friend to drive down with the horse box, so he met me up at Monte de Gozo, which is where I was staying, because there really isn't anywhere in the town centre to keep a donkey. You possibly noticed this? It's
0: probably true, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we drove her back home, and that was it, really and of course she'd got the taste for it and I'd got the taste for it and we kept walking together and we were still walking in 2014. I was just looking at some photographs the last last Camino we did was in 2014 and we did a bit of the canal from Nantes to Brest but we started at the Pointe Saint Mathieu which is right up at Finisterre in France she was getting on a bit by then, she wasn't all that young when I got her so we made that her last Camino and it was nice and flat along the canal By then we'd moved house to the house where I'm living now because my husband was finding the stairs hard at home. Well, that was his excuse, but I think really he wanted the donkey next to him in the field, rather than (laughs) in the field about a kilometre away from home. So we moved to this house and we adapted it so as he became more disabled, it would still work for him. And he had his dogs that I looked after, but well, that's that's another story. I still have a donkey, a different donkey, and a mule.
0: You mentioned, obviously, the logistics in the cathedral, but bigger picture, what's easier and what's harder when you're walking on pilgrimage with a donkey?
1: Well, harder is going through a town. You can't just stop and dip into a shop. And when you are walking through a town, you have to try and do it when there's not going to be too much traffic around because you're going to want to walk on the pavement so we tended to pass towns very early in the morning. What we'd do is we'd try and stop as close as possible to the town and then get away early in the morning and walk through the town preferably on a weekend, but you couldn't always, we couldn't always do it that way. Once I did actually take a through a to town in a horse box. The only reason was that the weather was also very bad that, that week and we didn't want to have to plod through a town with every 10 seconds somebody saying, oh look a donkey. <laughs> and, you know, pat the donkey. And the donkey won't knock them down and keep walking. Donkey will stop and be friendly. So towns are hard. Dally was good with towns. She she was fine. It was the people. If people hadn't stopped her, she'd just plodded on next to me, just like she used to do anywhere. So towns were hard. Apart from towns, well, finding places to stay wasn't quite so easy.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking about the Norte. There are so many boats Like you take a boat across from Pasajes de San Juan, you take a boat across into Santander, you just... You don't have to. You just looped around inland the whole time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, we had one really good one. Walking through Bilbao. Now, you know there's a lot of bridges and things, and you've got to get across the river at some point. Yeah. And most of the bridges are very heavy traffic. But that was okay, because the the Camino was signposted, but we got a little bit off the Camino for somewhere to stay because we stayed at Nagro Turismo, which was very nice and they were very good and that was fine, but we'd gone a bit beyond where the Camino branched off. So I said, how do I now get back onto the Camino? Oh, you just, you know, this right here and just go straight along. Well, yeah, okay. Except that the bridge we were gonna have to take was actually more like a motorway, so, stopped in a little little church garden somewhere as you do and sat down on a bench and had to think about it and this police car turned up that's that's okay the guardia aren't they're not unreasonable on the whole mostly unless you try and sleep in the field next to their barracks but that's another story so I said you know what do I do to get across the river and to keep on going along the along by the sea Mm, well do you think your donkey would go on a transporter bridge
0: The Puente Colgante.
1: Yeah. I said, (laughs) what is one of those? And, you know, it just sounded like a big bus with a big hole at the end that the cars went in. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I thought you would do that. So he phoned his sister, and his sister came from the school that she was teaching at and looked after the donkey while he drove me to the bridge, the transporter bridge. And I looked at it, and I said, yeah, she'd go on that. So he took me back. And then he started writing something down and I thought, this is my ticket, isn't it? This is my big fine for being a useless <laughs> pilgrim with a donkey in a big town. But no, it was his address and his phone number and his sister's phone number. And in three days time, you're going to be walking past my house. So you're staying with us.
0: That's awesome.
1: So when we went on the bridge, the transporter bridge. They charged me for two people. Not for a car, though. No, no, not for a car. The donkey counted as a person, not a car. Though we took up as much room as a car, of course. Mm -hmm. And she just walked on, and I had some bread, because that's the magic trick with a donkey. You have to bread with you, or maybe some carrots, or some apples, or some good quality chocolate. I won't eat rubbish chocolate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what's what's easier? What's better, walking with a donkey?
1: Well, it's all better, really, because you've got a really good (laughs) companion. I mean, some things are a little bit trickier to do, but because you've got your your best friend with you all the time, and they don't always want to go the same way you do, but, you know, you have a little discussion, and you you come to a decision between you, mutual decision as to which way you're going to go. But it was so funny because she just walked onto this thing as if she did it every day, and she walked off it at the other end, just absolutely, you know, well, that's fine. That's a good way for a donkey to get across a big river. And for once, there wasn't a single person with a camera. Nobody. Nobody paid any attention to it. We just, oh, donkey. Yeah. Fine.
0: People will sometimes say, the poor donkey, it's getting worked so hard. It's not fair to take a donkey on pilgrimage. How do you respond to that?
1: I would say that whenever she saw the the horse box being got ready she went i'm going on holiday i'm going on holiday <laughs> she would walk into that horse box without being led i just had to hitch it up to the car drop the door down and she would just walk straight in something fun is going to happen and she yeah she got tired of course she got tired i got tired too but we were both walking the same distance
0: she wasn't suffering
1: Well, she wouldn't have kept on doing it, I think, and looking happy if she had been suffering. She'd come and just stand there while I tacked her up and put her bags on, and we'd go.
0: I fell in love with donks walking the Camino, and I take groups of my high schoolers on pilgrimage, and they'll hear me talking about donkeys, and they won't understand before we go why I'm so excited every time I run into a donkey on pilgrimage in part because I can't fully articulate it, but there's something about the donkey that I just identify with, that resonates with me. You've spent more time in close contact with donkeys over the years. What is it about the donkey that makes it such a wonderful animal and companion?
1: Well, they're very intelligent. Far more so than a horse, I would say. They're patient. They're quite Placid by nature on the whole. Not, not all of them, but mostly. And they're interested because they're intelligent, I think. They, they like to see new things. And they're, they're kind and they're gentle. You know, I know that's a stereotype, but they really are. They're, they're very gentle. They're very good with small children. They're very good with people with a disability, especially any kind of intellectual disability. They try to help.
0: I see them alone in the field a lot. Often you'll see horses clustered together, the donkey off on the side. So there's something that has always struck me as noble about the donkey's ability to enjoy or appreciate solitude, to not necessarily need to be surrounded. But at the same time, every time I run into a donkey and I am excited to see the donkey, that donkey is very excited to also be in contact and in communion. So there's something to me about the donkey's ability to appreciate or endure solitude but also that hunger for connection that stands out to me is that my perception or is there accuracy in that
1: no i think you're right dally would always she'd see things i didn't see she'd notice you know we'd we'd be walking along past a hedge or something and she'd notice something on the other side of the hedge that i hadn't noticed and she'd stop and she'd want to take a look and see you know what's in this field i don't think they they like to be completely alone i think they like company but they're not always joining in the party sometimes they're watching the party
0: yeah i think that's true there are not many people who walk with donkeys these days not that there were 20 years ago when you were doing this obviously if someone is listening to this and thinking i kind of like the idea of walking with a donkey it sounds romantic it sounds interesting What's the practical advice that you would offer them as they make that decision? Don't. Don't.
1: It's actually quite hard work. I went into this with my eyes shut, and I was lucky. I found the perfect Camino donkey first try. But somebody who just wants to walk two weeks with a donkey because, oh, it's romantic and it's nice, and they've, they've probably read Stevenson's book, Horrible Man That He Was, <laughs> they're not going to get to know the donkey As a friend and the first day the donkey decides that really I don't want to go this way there's going to be a struggle I think you really do need to think very very carefully about it okay if you're hiring a donkey for two weeks it's only two weeks out of your life but I think it's quite likely to be a disappointment but then I didn't think about it very much it just happened and it it worked for me so maybe I shouldn't be saying that maybe I should say yeah go for it You might end up moving house, of course, because of it, so that you've got a field next to the house. You might end up always having donkeys for the rest of your life.
0: It seems like the difference is that you had that advice to go into this thinking about it, not merely as a short-term rental, but as that possibility that it would be a long-term relationship. And maybe that's the difference, that someone who's thinking about this as a two-week experience, period, in and out, neat and tidy, that that's setting you up for trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Because if you're renting a donkey, it's going to be a donkey that knows the way it's going. It's going to know the route. It's going to be a donkey that's walked that loop or that distance and then been fetched back in a horse box. And it it knows that way. And it's kind of like a job of work and it's not very interested. And if the day you want to do something different, the donkey disagrees with you, you're not going to win a battle of strength. Not with a donkey. (laughs) But if you want good advice it's think very carefully before you go walking for a donkey and remember it's an extra hour at each end of the day looking after the donkey
0: yeah yeah and who knows where you're going to be able to sleep
1: oh you camp mostly you camp i can tell donkey tales until it gets well it's dark till it gets light again in the morning <laughs> but you probably don't need quite that much material
0: I wouldn't get tired of hearing donkey stories. Like, do you have another really good one that you want to throw into the mix?
1: Yeah, there was one. <laughs> you, probably won't want to, you probably won't want to podcast this one though. I know right now that I absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I had a friend who wanted to walk with me and she wanted to celebrate her retirement by walking with me. And this this wasn't this first one that I did with Dali, this was a later one. And um, so I said, well, yeah, okay. Had anything to do with donkeys before? Well, no, but you know, I can learn. Yeah, fair enough. So, anyway, we set off. And, you know, donkeys, while they come into season, they're like all other animals, that they have a time when they're they're looking for um, a friend. Yeah. Very close friend, with possibly a view to making more donkeys. So, anyway, Dally comes into season. Now, you can always tell when a donkey comes into season because they kind of do this as if they're trying to get chewing gum or toffee off their teeth or something. And they're sniffing the air and they're looking. So so she's, she's coming into season. And my friend said, well, you know, how does, is that going to affect us? I said, well, you don't let her off the leash. <laughs> you know, because she might decide that her friend is in that field over there. And, you know, we don't really want to be explaining to the farmer why our donkey is possibly now pregnant by his donkey. <laughs> so anyway, we set off and we'd spent a night in... Quite a nice little hotel, and Dally had spent the night trashing the hotel garden because that's what doggies do. They said it didn't matter because it wasn't a very good garden anyway, so that was fine. So we went and fetched her in the morning, and we had to walk through the town—quite a little town. But it's, it's market day, and it's quite busy, and there's a lot of people. And Dally is, you know, a little bit antsy, a little bit. Oh, come on, come on! You know, I'm feeling the urge. It's spring, you know, young girls fancy. And anyway, she sees what she thinks is. A donkey now this isn't a donkey this is a plate glass window oh no and this is a reflection of a donkey and she thinks this is a really good looking donkey never i think having seen herself in a mirror and you know wow and oh i love you and she wonders why this donkey isn't rushing over to her and so she starts braying. now they've all got a good bray yeah Tally had a very good break, and this is in a, a narrowish street in a small town in France, and she is making a lot of noise, and she can't work out why this other donkey isn't running over to her, and she's, she's near enough touching the glass with her nose. You can see it, You can see the, the, there's something wrong here, and she gets so fed up. So she does what the other sort of donkey signalling, as well as the, the chewing gum thing, she pees she pees gallons (laughs) on the pavement in this little town while drawing very loud attention to just exactly what she is doing and i said i think we'd better go quickly (laughs) And my friend was very embarrassed even more than i was (laughs) you think for a nurse you know she'd be used to people peeing wouldn't you
0: yeah you know, it's not as bad as I was expecting. I was expecting her to headbutt the, the window.
1: Oh, no, no. She's, she's too clever for that. She was a very clever donkey. But believe me, it was bad because it, when they're in season, it's very stinky.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, that is all part of the experience, right? Yeah. Awesome, Barbara. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much.
1: Well, it's been great talking to you. Keep warm.
0: Mark Myers is the executive director of Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue. Among his many honors, Mark earned the distinction in 2019 as one of CNN's 10 men and women making the world a better place. You can find Mark and Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue at donkeyrescue.org. Thank you for speaking with me, Mark. Absolutely. What is the purpose of Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue? What kind of work do you do?
2: Well, the Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue, we started out as a hobby basically my wife found a donkey on the internet to be a companion to her horse and then once we got izzy we just fell in love with her we had no donkey experience and she started finding donkeys just in our community that weren't loving like izzy but they needed help and so she started buying them and together we started fixing them and this just kept going until we had about 25 donkeys in our backyard And I I told her to pump the brakes because we got a problem here. And so we started the Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue really as a means to place the donkeys in homes where we had control over where they went. You couldn't just sell them. If you sold them, then they could end up anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it became a way to place the donkeys, but also to teach our son's responsibility. They were kindergarten and first grade at the time. Now, today, one of them's an attorney in Dallas, and the other one does cybersecurity for the city of Tucson. So I guess some of that responsibility stuck. <laughs> but what we do is we work literally nationwide. We work in all 48 states. We work with law enforcement, things of that nature, on abuse, neglect, abandonment, hoarding cases. We also work with all the divisions of the Department of Interior. We work with the U.S. military on managing wild borough populations. We're giant. We're a giant organization. We have about 60 employees nationwide. We have almost 20 truck trailer combinations. At any given time, I probably have six trucks on the road somewhere, either rescuing donkeys, transporting donkeys. We have 20 sanctuaries that we manage donkeys on. I have three ranches, 50 satellite adoption centers. It's insane. So, We are donkey rescue, basically. We single-handedly are solving the donkey issues. Here, we flew 120 donkeys from the Big Island of Hawaii into LAX some years ago. They were in a drought. What a lot of people don't know is at the conclusion of World War II, there was a surplus of army equipment. And so everybody bought a Jeep because they were cheap. And that Jeep replaced donkeys. Donkeys were very common everywhere. And then people bought a Jeep. And so what they did is they just opened the gate and let the donkeys go. And this happened here in the United States. It happened throughout the Caribbean. It happened in Australia. It happened in Hawaii. And donkeys are adaptable. They were just like, okay. And they just wandered away. And they made do on their own. And they really didn't bother anybody until something happened, say a drought on the big island. And They wandered off the hill and they came down to the golf courses and started drinking out of the water traps and eating the greens. And that didn't go over well. Plus, they get in the roads and they get hit. And so that's why we we had to remove some off the big island. On another island, I think it was Dole, set up a sanctuary for them because they were used for the coffee. They were used for the pineapples. They were used for the sugar cane. And so they were there for a reason. And then the populations get out of control because they were ignored. It's not their fault they were there. And so we were also working the Caribbean. I just got back from the Caribbean. I had wrote a book back in 2017 about the donkeys of the Caribbean. And I went back two weeks ago with a film crew and we're doing a film of the same name. Because most people don't know that there's a donkey overpopulation problem on almost every island. And it's the same thing. They're ignored until they're a problem. And then they're handled rather cruelly. Australia killed 4 million donkeys. And if you remember, the big news about Australia before the pandemic was that it was on fire. It put the koala bear on the endangered list. Well, it was on fire because they killed millions of horses, water buffalo, camels, donkeys, because they were competing with the cattle. Well, the cattle couldn't keep up with the grass. And so guess what happened? The grass caught on fire. Wow. And Australia burned. and so. Any way you slice it or dice it, if you put carbon into the air, you have to have something green to draw that carbon out of the air and put it back in the ground. It used to be the Amazon. It devastated the Amazon. Australia was number two. It was this big green grass of carpet that drew carbon out of the atmosphere. Well, now it's gone. So we don't even have to get into a climate debate. That's just science. If you put carbon in the air, you have to have something to draw it out. And now we're running out of green space to do that. And the animals were a big part of that process of processing the carbon and returning it back to their manure and then tromping it into the ground to it, it just practicality. Yeah. And the donkeys, four million of them are now not part of that solution anymore. And so what Peaceful Valley does, that's Peaceful Valley in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> There's a lot to chew on there. Let's go back towards the beginning of that answer. When you got your first donkey, I think you said the donkey's name was Izzy? Izzy. Izzy. If you were here, she's right over there. She's still alive after uh, 25 years. That's awesome. What do you think it is that hooked you, that made you fall in love with donkeys from that very first one? I'm a
2: dog lover, okay? I have a dog underneath my desk right here. His name's Bobo. And Bobo is loving. He's loyal. He's protective. So is Izzy. Same exact personality traits as a dog. Donkeys- They're just the exact same qualities. I had a donkey named Rawhide. And Rawhide was used as a roping dummy to practice cowboys roping on. Couldn't get anywhere near him. Took me months and months and months to become his friend. And once he and I became friends, I was out on trails up in the mountains with him. And two dogs attacked me. And I unclipped Rawhide's lead so he wouldn't get tangled in it. And he attacked those two dogs and protected me. That's a donkey's nature. They're loving, they're loyal, and they're protective. They're the most intelligent animal I've ever been around. You know, this this reputation of being stubborn and stupid, absolutely incorrect. They're intelligent. Just because they don't want to do what you want to do does not make them stupid. Horses are trained through pain. You put a piece of metal in its mouth and you pull back, it stops. You put something sharp on your boots and dig it into its flanks, it goes forward. Donkeys just don't react that way. They don't do what you want to do. They want to trust you. I've walked all over Death Valley with up to eight donkeys. They weren't tied to me. They trusted me. They wanted to go where I wanted to go to make sure I was okay. And they just happened to carry the stuff I needed to carry. That's a donkey's mentality.
0: Why do donkeys need rescue? I know part of it's the historical matters that you talked about the Jeeps flooding the market, making donkeys less necessary. But we have movements in support of saving all kinds of animals. Lots of animals are viewed in a more sympathetic light than donkeys, which you noted there is this negative stereotype. From your perspective, why is it that this is a movement that's needed that donkeys need rescue?
2: They're undervalued. Because they're undervalued, people do not want to spend the money on proper veterinary care. So that's what we see the most of is we get them in deplorable condition hooves that are 18, 24 inches long, just curled like this because people won't spend $25 to call a farrier out or they can't find a farrier to call out because nobody's ever worked with the donkey to pick up its hooves and stand still for trimming. I've got a staff of probably half my staff are trainers because the donkeys that go through our training academy learn to pick up their hooves. So when you adopt one of our donkeys, it's friendly and it picks up its feet for trimming. Most people don't get a donkey that way. If you adopt a donkey from the government, you get a wild animal. So a fairy doesn't want to come out and mess with it. Vets don't want to come out and mess with it because they could get hurt. They don't get paid to get hurt. And so that's why our adoption program is so successful because ours are well-trained. So we see a lot of that in our rescue cases is the donkeys just aren't well cared for because they're undervalued. People won't invest the money in them to get the vet care they need. We see a lot of hoarding cases. We did a hoarding case out in California that was 144 donkeys, nine horses, and seven mules. And at one time, she was quote-unquote rescue, and then she lost all her funding. And she couldn't afford to do it anymore. But she was in a very poor county. It's one of the largest counties in California, but it includes Death Valley. And Death Valley doesn't have any people, so therefore there's not a lot of tax money. So the county sheriff couldn't afford to do the rescue. And so they called us and asked if we could do it. And it cost us $160,000 to do that rescue. Wow, That's how bad a shape these animals are. So that's the kind of stuff we do on the domestic side. But then on the wild side, we have wild borough populations that the federal government manages through the Bureau of Land Management, but that's just on their lands. You have National Park Service has donkeys, U.S. Fish and Wildlife has donkeys, U.S. Army has donkeys, NASA has donkeys, because these are all giant tracts of land, say, that where the NASA has their Deep Space Communication Center. Well, that's just desert. The donkeys don't know they're not supposed to be there. The scientists get very angry when they get into those satellite dishes and shoot on cables. Um, I once had to set through an hour-and-a-half presentation put on by NASA scientists on all the ways they try to dissuade the donkeys, and it was hysterically <laughs> funny. Fort Irwin is a tank training center where they literally shoot rounds at targets, and the donkeys use those for shade. Well, <laughs> these gunners don't want to shoot at the donkeys, and so they hesitate. So the commanders don't like to see their tanks not being shot. Because the donkeys are standing there. So there are a lot of things like that. So that's where we work. We're all over the place.
0: What are the uses of a donkey today? They're not needed as much as beasts of burden anymore. You mentioned that like a dog, they can be an excellent companion animal. But are there other known uses
2: of donkeys? Some people use them as livestock guardians. They'll put them out with sheep, goats, cows when they're calving. Typically, that's the females that make better guardians. Adopt them out just as pets. A lot of people will get a couple of acres of land. And the first thing they want to do is go out and get a horse. They think, oh, I need a horse. Well, then you get a horse. Then you got to get saddles and things and reins. And so, you know, you got a horse and you got all this tack. Well, then you feel guilty because you never ride it. (laughs) See, so if you get a couple of donkeys from us, everybody wins. You come home, you go out there, you pet the donkeys. It's very zen. If you do feel like going for a walk with your donkeys, all you got to do is put on a halter, grab a lead rope, and you go for a walk. Donkey follows you around. It's like walking your dog. Everybody wins. There's no losers in that. You don't feel guilt. There's no guilt at all. Don't feel like going for a walk. Just walk out in the field and pet your donkey on the head. Very relaxing. We call it cheap therapy around here. I get stressed. I just walk out with my donkeys, and we just all sit on the ground together. A lot of places, they do what they call pack burrow racing. It's actually a pretty cool sport. A lot of people take it very serious. There's very high levels of competition. You know the ones that are in it to win it. And then you have the, the fun runners. And they also have their donkeys. But they're the ones that just, you know, they're walking and talking and laughing. And so there's two levels of competition that go on at these packed burrow racing. But it's actually the state sport in Colorado. They take it really serious in Colorado. The donkeys will go for it. They'll go fast. Oh, yeah. These people train year-round with their donkeys to do this. Yeah. You can train them to pull carts. I have some that pull carts. I used to take mine, like I said, in Death Valley. We used to go packing all the time before I kind of broke my body rescuing donkeys. So sleeping on the ground doesn't appeal to me anymore.
0: Fair enough. You mentioned the word therapy. That's the most common usage I see associated with donkeys, particularly working with autistic children, special needs children. What makes donkeys suited to that kind of work?
2: They don't panic. So the nature of a donkey, horses have a flight reaction. So if anything spooks them, they're going to run. Donkeys have a fight reaction. So they're going to check it out. So as a, for instance, when I first started getting involved in the Death Valley donkeys that we had to remove, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", I'm 250 pounds. I don't sneak up on nothing. Okay. And I'm a professional photographer. So I carry a big camera that has a big lens and donkeys you don't sneak up on anyway. So I get there, I go in the back country, I clamber out of my Jeep, and the donkeys surround the babies, and they all 360, so they can make sure nobody's sneaking up on them, and they snort at me. And maybe a Jenny comes out, and she's like, you better go away. Next week, I go out there. They circle up, they look at me, but they don't snort. By the third week, they're like, ah, him. By the fifth week, they don't move. They don't pay me any attention. And the babies start to walk up to me. By the sixth week, I'm standing in the middle of them. There's a picture of me literally standing in the middle of all the donkeys because they know it's just that guy. That's how smart they are. So when we do projects with uh, Paul Newman's Painted Turtle Camp, it was a, a camp for terminally ill kids out in California, and they had horse riding things but the kids in the wheelchairs couldn't ride horses obviously and all they could do is see the belly of the horses so we always brought out donkeys and a lot of these kids are in these giant wheelchairs that they had things hanging on them and they made sounds and it scared the horses well donkeys didn't care about it and so the donkeys were a huge part of the success of the equine program and so now we have a state assisted living place up the street we take the donkeys to but we can turn the kids loose in the donkeys and the donkeys won't move. They won't walk. They won't pick up their feet because they don't want to step on anybody. Because you you never know how the kids are going to react, what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. They might pull an ear. They might slap the donkey. You never know. And the donkeys are just, we've never had one instance. The donkeys just stand there and let nature take its course. And it's a positive experience for these kids to be able to interact You know, usually it's always positive, like the kids want to kiss them on the nose, things like that. And the donkeys will just stand there. You know, animals have a sense about these things. Mm -hmm. It is. It's great therapy for the kids and the donkeys are perfect for it.
0: For people like me who have now had a couple of encounters on the road with donkeys, have really developed an affinity for donkeys. What are the best ways for us to support you in your work?
2: We are a $10 million a year charity. And we spend $10 million a year. We're a company just like every other. I've got to have workers' compensation, liability insurance. It's expensive. We spend about a million and a half dollars a year just on feed. So we rely on the generosity of others to do what we do. But the way I look at it is we save everybody taxpayer dollars. We don't take any money from the government whatsoever, never have, never will. And so we operate compared to the Bureau of Land Management at less than a 10th of their wild borough project, less than a tenth. So when we go in and do it, we are saving taxpayer dollars when we work with law enforcement, when we work with the U S military, when we work with anybody like that, we are saving so much. So it, it, yes, if you write a check to peace of Valley donkey rescue, that's tax deductible. So that's tax dollars that aren't going to the government, but at the same time, we are saving millions and millions of dollars every year that otherwise would have to come out of the taxpayers' pockets. So everybody gets a tax benefit because of what we're doing here.
0: And there's people who listen to this podcast who are in all different parts of the English speaking world. And so this isn't just a United States issue. You've mentioned the plight of donkeys in Australia, in the Caribbean. So this is an international, a global issue facing donkeys worldwide.
2: Yes. And then you have the issue with the Chinese hide trade, where they're killing 4 million donkeys a year just for their hides. They turn it into basically a supplement that's a cure-all. And it's not sustainable. They've already wiped out donkey populations in a lot of African nations where the donkeys are needed. If you take a donkey out of a family, out of the equation, the kids get pulled out of school And have to work to replace that donkey it's that serious so they've banned the exportation of donkeys in certain african nations but that doesn't matter they still get stolen and taken to the adjacent country that's how serious the issue is they've wiped them out of a lot of central and south american countries four million isn't sustainable it hasn't come to the united states yet but it's just a matter of time australia they couldn't find a way to make it financially equitable to move the donkeys to a place to slaughter them and get them to China because Australia, I mean, it's huge. So it made more sense to shoot them from helicopters and let them rot on the ground. So it's a huge issue.
0: And I know that you have a lot of resources on the Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue website, pvdr.org.
2: Yeah, donkeyrescue.org, pvdr.org, they all get you the same place.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks for talking with me about this and for your multi-decade commitment in support of donkeys. I appreciate
2: it. My pleasure.
0: I've said this before. After 77 episodes, I start to worry that I've run out of new things to say, But one of the things that I enjoy most about pilgrimage is how it provides a conduit through which I learn about all different aspects of the world. On one hand, this episode feels like a bit of a stretch. It's not about church architecture or an exciting new variant or a recent pilgrim sharing stories from the road. It's not a meat and potatoes kinda episode. On the other though, it's what keeps me coming back to the pilgrimage in the podcast, seeing the world more deeply and richly, and always learning. If your curiosity in donkeys has been piqued, or your flame rekindled, and you find yourself wanting to spend more time pondering the donk, you might check out The Wisdom of Donkeys by Andy Merrifield. Inspired in part by Robert Louis Stevenson, but with a drive to be more like Sancho Panza in his treatment of his donkey, Andy sets forth with Gribuil, apologies for the bad French, it means doodle or scribble, for a walk through the Velay region of France. His reflections from the trail include a veritable wealth of fun insights into the donkey. Among those, consider these exciting historical tidbits. Did you know that the first appearance of ass, the word, showing as a sign of stupidity, that is to say, making an ass of oneself, appeared in 1590? We're approaching a half millennium of this insult. Meanwhile, the equation of ass with one's backside is a much fresher phenomenon, dating to 1860. Did you know that the pinning the tail on the donkey game began with Andrew Jackson's presidential campaign in 1828? Jackson, who was being labeled a jackass by his opponents, embraced the label, which quickly embodied his infamous stubbornness. It would take four more decades for the donkey to be linked firmly to the Democratic Party in America, with the political cartoon in 1870 being credited with this. Finally, did you know, and I bet you didn't, Cleopatra bathed in donkey milk? I can't say I recommend this. Not sure where you'd get all that milk. But the woman was famous for her beauty. No reports on her smell. That's all for this episode. Thanks again to Barbara and Mark for speaking with me. You can find Peaceful Valley Donkey Rescue at donkeyrescue.org or pvdr.org. The site includes multiple documentaries and shorter videos on their work worldwide and a direct link to contribute to their efforts. All episodes of the Camino Podcast can be found on Spotify, Google, Apple, and SoundCloud. You can reach me at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com and through the Camino Podcast Facebook page. Thanks as always for listening. More episodes through process. Slowly.